Wow. Is that too hot? Okay. Yeah, I can hear it too. Um, so we were doing a, a debrief earlier. Uh, um, Jonathan, we, Julie and I uh, had uh, Jonathan and Kelly's girls all week. And so he was expecting me to be full of stories. I told him I didn't have any. And I didn't have any in my notes, but it got me to thinking. Actually, uh, it was a marvelous, a marvelous week, playing with four girls, teaching them croquet. I did offend a six-year-old during a uh, during a, a bocce ball game, <laughs> and uh, took a little bit to recover from that one. But uh, other than that, it was a good week. So. Um, Excuse me. Okay. I hate these things. <laughs> How many of you have life verses? Do you know what I mean when I say that, right? There's just sometimes God speaks to you through the scripture, just a verse, just a passage, and it affects you. It changes you. So I have, you know, four or five life verses that, are, that form my basic philosophy of being a Christian. We're not going to get into all those because that's not what the sermon's about. But it is about one, in context, one passage that has changed me. But we're going to start with... Uh, as Jonathan said, Luke 22, I didn't have a good way to extract my uh, verse. So you're going to get the whole chapter in summary, and then we're going to dive in in detail. Luke 22 is, uh, it's kind of, it's almost a crescendo in the, uh, in the book of Luke. There is just so much stuff going on. We're building right up to the crucifixion. And um, it's action-packed. It's, it's non-stop. You can't, you can't skip a verse uh, because of the story and the, the action that's, that's taking place. And with the exception of the first six verses, the whole thing is 24 hours or less. It's really a, a remarkable a remarkable package. So, I'm going to step you through Luke 22 and uh, try to avoid digressing. Oh, speaking of digressing, I owe you a little bit of an apology for maybe going a little too long last time I was up here. And my wife also extends her apologies for maybe going a little over time last time she was up here. But um, she had a better excuse. She had communion that week, and she had, it was Pentecost, so she added the teaching on Pentecost, and so uh, it was good. It was good, okay. George has got the stopwatch. We're good. All right. Okay, so the first six verses of Luke 22, you can kind of follow along. I, I thought about reading the whole thing. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to narrate it, but you can kind of follow along. The first six verses is 
confirming the Jewish leadership doesn't just want to get Jesus out of the way. They are purposed to kill him. That is their goal. We have to kill this guy. And of course, they want to do it kind of quietly because they're afraid of riots and rebelling from uh, people who like Jesus and believe he's the Messiah. And then we have this interesting passage of Satan entering Judas. We don't get a lot of detail on that, but it doesn't take you too long to live in the world to start to maybe visualize what that meant. And then Judas makes his, uh, his deal with the leadership to betray Jesus. Um, by the way, I, I just did a little bit of research. Uh, most likely Judas was a locksmith. Just thought I'd throw that in there. That's not in the Bible. Uh, it comes from a study of the Aramaic interpretation of the use of the name, but it's kind of interesting. Okay, starting in verse 7, the morning of the Passover meal, Jesus sends Peter and John to make the Passover arrangements. He says, okay, go into town, set up for the, for the meal. And they say, cool, where? Well, go into town, look for a guy carrying a jug of water, follow him into the house, talk to the owner of the house, he's got it set up for you. So just one of those prophetic miracles where you just kind of ponder. Um, and Gee, I'd like to do that. And, you know, we can do that. We need to listen. Holy Spirit does speak to us. I want to have a Passover meal sometime. It just sounds good. I like lamb. It's roasted over open fire. Right? They have the unleavened bread, bitter herbs. I have no idea what else they serve in those meals, but I'm willing to find out. Okay, verse 14 through 20 is the narrative of the Last Supper. They're uh, assembled in, at the upper room, and Jesus expresses, first of all, his great love for these disciples and how he has so longed to be able to spend this time with them. You really get a feel for the intimacy of, between Jesus and the twelve Then he provides one of the passages we frequently use on the communion passage and pronounces the establishment of a new covenant. This, is, this actual passage here is pivotal to the, whole, to the whole of Scripture. This is the new covenant. This is our relationship going forward. And then... In the same red letters, right, in the same paragraph, it's like the whole conversation changes and Jesus says, um, there's a traitor amongst us. Just established the new covenant, talking about how much he loves him. Now granted, this whole thing took a few hours and we don't know timing in here, but as you read it, it's all one paragraph. It's all one block of red. And he says, um, there's, a, uh, there's a traitor here. 
Now, in this passage, we're not told who it was. If you read Matthew, you get maybe a little bit more detail here. It doesn't say Judas, and uh, it doesn't say anything about Judas leaving the room. We get, we get that bigger picture as you study the other scriptures, the other, the other gospels, specifically uh, Matthew is really good at that. Then, these guys, these, these 12, or maybe 11 at this point, they're so human. So what's next? They start a fight. Right? And it's not even about whose elbow is in the bitter herbs or past the matzah. It's, it's who's the greatest. I, I, I don't know. It's just kind of baffling. But that's what they're doing. They're arguing a dispute uh, breaks out about who is the greatest. So Jesus steps in and says, settle down, boys. Let me go over this one more time. Because it's not the first time. Not the first time. He says, you lead by serving. And there's a great, great few verses in there about leadership, hierarchy, and how it works in the kingdom of God. We lead by serving. And I like you guys. You've been hanging with me for a while, so you're all going to get a throne in heaven. And you will be leading, you'll be ruling over the 12 tribes. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so settle down. No one's the greatest. You got to serve everybody. But I got this gig for you in heaven. Then, uh, then verse 31 through 34, again, it's in the same paragraph. And we just take this, the, the whole conversation just seems to shift. And he says, this is a pretty, pretty good moment at this point, right? I love you guys. You're with me. You've been through a lot. I've got a lot going for you. And uh, your future is bright. You got thrones waiting for you in heaven. But Peter, actually he doesn't say Peter, he says Simon, and he warns Simon of an impending attack from the enemy. And he says, eh, not me, don't worry about me, I'm good, I'm strong. And so Jesus says, well, maybe not. Right? And in the next few hours, before the sunrise, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Then we switch subjects again. And uh, verses 38, 35 to 38, it's all about swords and money. Swords and money. It's one of those passages that can really make you ponder a bit. It's one of those passages that you probably can't leave all alone. You're going to have to expand your study and try to get some context on what, what uh, the rest of Scripture says about these things. But he says, uh, when I was taking care of you, 
You didn't need weapons, you didn't need clothes, you didn't need money, but now take your money and have a sword. It's kind of a message for the preppers. I'm, I'm, kind of a, I'm kind of a halfway over here on the preppers thing. It just makes sense to be ready. Ready for what? I don't know. But I'd like to be ready. Okay, moving on, verse 39 through 46 is the garden. Jesus takes his disciples, as was his habit, all this week, all this holy week, they've been camping out in, at the garden of Gethsemane. You have to really practice pronouncing that. Gethsemane. And Jesus goes into prayer sets him down, moves off, goes into prayer. It says he prays in agony. An angel comes to strengthen him. We don't get to know if there was really an eyewitness to that, what that looked like. I always wondered what an angel would do standing next to Jesus, praying in agony. What does he do to strengthen him? I don't know. It's a good story. But... God is with him, Holy Spirit's on the move, it's a special moment, it's understood, and the angel is responding to his prayers. Then Jesus goes back, rebukes the disciples, and says, boys, you're not supposed to be sleeping. You should be praying. Why? What does it say? Yeah, to, to avoid entering into temptation. They should, be, they should have been praying for their own survival of the next few hours, few days, few weeks. Okay, moving on. Verse 47 to 53, that's Jesus' arrest. And um, Judas shows up, so we know... He left, obviously, because he shows up with the crowd. We get, a, we get a, at least a partial um, inventory of the, uh, the crowd. It contains the chief priests, the officials of the temple, and the elders. So this is not a rabble. Now, there may have been some thugs with ropes and clubs and things, but this is, this is kind of the elite. This is the guys who wanted to kill him. I've wondered at times... Why wouldn't they just send a mob out to get them? But the big guys went out. Partially, I suspect, to make sure they get the right guy. And, of course, this is where Judas betrays them with a kiss. And um, someone gets an ear cut off. The, the, the disciples, they have the two swords with them. They actually ask Jesus, they say, is this it? Do we get the swords? Do we fight these guys? I can't help but imagine Simon the Zealot must have been one of those guys who wanted to pull that sword out. So we almost have a sword fight. A guy loses his ear. Jesus calms it down again. This is the third time this evening he's had to calm his boys down. Heals the ear and goes off as a detainee. Peter's uh, 
Denial is next, verses 54 to 62. That's a really painful um, passage to get through. He just arrogantly or ignorantly, probably more towards the arrogant side, said, nah, I'm good, I'm strong, I'm going with you. And we walk through the three denials over some span of hours at the, where they were all gathered there. And on the third denial, it's, it can't really tell exactly how it was set up, but the third denial, Peter is within line of sight of Jesus. As Peter denies him the third time, Jesus turns and looks at him. It's hard. It's hard. I saw a video movie sometime years and years ago where that played out. And it's kind of impactful to think about what was going on at that time. So, verse 62 ends with, and he went out and wept bitterly. Moving towards the end of the chapter, 63 to 71 is his trial before the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin being the, the leadership of the Jewish, um, I guess we call it the church, the Jews. And uh, apparently Jesus has been pretty well abused throughout the night. And early in the morning, this session comes together and they just confirm that Jesus claims to be the Christ, and they condemn him. And then chapter 3 picks up with moving on towards the Roman trial. So again, we're talking about a 24-hour span, and half the Bible verses you ever got in Sunday school are in that chapter. It's, uh, it's packed. It's loaded. And uh, so where I want to take it to, back to that life, life, um, passage concept. Verse 31 and 32 in ASB says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you. Oh, I didn't. I thought I fixed that. I got a typo in my note here. To sift you like wheat, as asked permission or demanded depending on the verse, but this is demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So, having read that many times in my Christian walk and just reading, somehow I never read that until... One time. It's, we, we talk about it. It's just you read the Bible, you read a passage, you read a chapter time and time again, and then suddenly it's saying something it never said before. Something, you know, who put that in my Bible? It's never been there before. And uh, sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's, well, it's always good. Sometimes it's more serious than other times, maybe. So I was at a low spot in my life. And um, just, everybody been in a low spot? 
think of maybe your next to the worst low spot. That's maybe, you know, I, it was not knowing what was in front of me, not knowing what I was going to do ministry-wise, just not sure of a lot of things. And then suddenly, when I read this verse, I got it spelled right in the next one. I did fix it. I just should have fixed it twice. Sorry. Okay. But I heard the scriptures say, the devil is the one messing with you. Jesus is on your side. You will recovery, and your ministry is intact. Okay. My ministry primarily leading up to that, and for several years after that, was uh, men's ministry. And uh, so the fact that you know, I would turn back and strengthen my brothers. I think it was that strengthen your brothers was the thing that just keyed the whole thing in for me. To say, oh, this is good. This is going to work out. It changed me. And I have just always cherished this verse since then. So now, what we're going to do is take a deeper dive into what happens in this, these two, two verses. There's, um, I'll give you a little context again. And uh, we're at the Last Supper. We haven't gone to the garden yet. Had a lot of conversation. Jesus has just done the, uh, the servant leadership lecture and told them they have their future is secure. And uh, I, I do, I, okay, 12 disciples, 12 thrones ruling over the 12 tribes. The 12 have followed Jesus for the last few years. There's only 11 of them. One of them just traded, just, he's gone. Judas is out. Judas doesn't recover. So I wonder who sits in the 12th throne. Just. Just out there. Julie and I had a conversation. We made up a couple. We came up with some theories. Scripture doesn't say. There's 12 thrones ruling over the 12. And 11 of these guys go in. Okay. Anyway, their job is secure. What story? Peter's probably feeling pretty good. Maybe cocky. We kind of give him that personality as we read into it. That he's, he's the fiery one. And uh, then Jesus calls him out and says, Simon, 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 behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And of course, then we move on. Peter, no, don't worry about me. But what's happening in that verse? There's, there's three players in there. There's Simon, Satan, and Jesus, all playing a part in those two verses. Talk about Simon a little bit. First of all, what was his name? 
Peter. Jesus changed his name. And after he changed his name, he's Peter everywhere except here. Jesus goes back to his previous name and calls him out Simon. You think that got his attention? Probably. Probably. Why would he do that? I believe he's speaking to the old man. The old man, the before Christ, before faith, before understanding the Messiah, the man who lived what the man who sat in the boat and said, Get away from me, I'm a sinful, I'm a sinful guy. You don't want anything to do with me. That's Simon. That's the man Jesus is addressing. So that man is going to play into a failure. So I think. Anyway, it is quite interesting that he's called Simon because next two verses he's called Peter again. So he's probably caught uh, off guard. He denies his vulnerability. You ever do that? Not me? Nah. Nah. Right? Jesus says, oh yeah, you're going to fail, but you're going to return. And uh, he responded again, arrogantly or ignorantly. I think it was both. I think he was truly ignorant of what was coming down, even though Jesus said, Satan's going to sift you like, or has permission to sift you like wheat. But also arrogant, as in, if God says something to you, and you deny it, you might want to slow down and check your motives. Because Jesus has a pretty good track record. And uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend arguing with it. I think it's fair to ask questions. Why? Or what can I do to avoid it? You know, if, if Peter would have, or Simon, Peter would have said, whoa, is there anything we can do to avoid that? It might have been a different story. Although Jesus in the garden prayed to avoid the crucifixion, that didn't work. So. Um, but he's just not in a position to receive that message. He can't hear from God at that moment. Okay, I'm going to skip that. So, next player, Satan. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Really? Satan demanded? Who did he demand from? Well, it had to be Jesus, God the Father, right? And um, uh, the different passage, different uh, interpretations uh, of the scripture treat this a little differently. So let me give you a few of them. Just a, a call out to Linda here. I got the King James. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath, hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. NIV says, Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. The passion, which I, I enjoy reading, is not a literal translation, but it, it has some nice insight. He says, Peter, my dear friend. He calls him Peter. He doesn't call him Simon there. Peter, my dear friend, 
listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has obtained permission to come and sift you all like wheat and test your faith. In and and passion both say all. And if you go through the Greek, when Jesus says, has asked, Satan has asked permission or demanded to sift you like wheat, the you is plural. So, and we know the disciples in the next few hours, few days, maybe didn't respond so well. So the message, even though directly to Simon at this moment, was really probably to everybody. Satan's on the move. And Judas did not return. The other 11 did. Looks like maybe John might have avoided some of it. The rest of them scattered. But anyway, it was, it was a global attack. So where else does uh, we, we get the image of Satan approaching God? Right? It's, it's Job. Right? It is actually in the Old Testament and New Testament that Satan will go before God and ask permission to harass one of God's elect. That's a, that's a, that's a hard saying. That's why, you know, um, starting to get ahead of myself. I'll save that comment. But um, Satan goes, accuses, demands, gets permission, and the believer's life is, havoc is wreaked. So, sift you like wheat. Does that give you an image? I, uh, yeah, I, I, I looked it up. The Greek word for sift, I'm going to clobber this. I should retake Greek just so I can learn to pronounce these words. Thaniazo. And it's only used one time in Scripture. This is the only time it's ever in the Bible. And its definition is to sift. <laughs> it was real helpful. Uh, or to shake in a sieve, which means to sift. So you have to, okay, sift you like wheat. Is there anything specific about wheat versus all the other grains? Maybe the process was a little different. Now, we hear of a few times in Scripture about separating the chaff from the wheat. And where they, they, throw the, they harvest it and then they throw the grain up in the air and the wind takes the chaff because it's light and then the, the grain falls back down. But they still sift the wheat after that. So they, they th- thresh it. And then the uh, sifting is uh, usually in a sieve. They, they would do some larger scale, not mechanized, but bigger things for bigger fields, you know, two-man sifts, that sort of thing, uh, sieves. But um, it's keeping the good grain in the sieve and separating bad seed, little rocks, dirt, pieces of hull, that kind of stuff. So it is still a, a separation process. 
Now, different commentators will say the sifting process is just means Peter's going to be shaken really hard. Well, that's probably a good interpretation. And Amos and some other books talk about um, people, peoples being shaken hard like grain. So that's, that's probably fair, that it's going to be a hard shaking. I, I view sifting as that separation process. And Satan's goal was to separate Peter, Simon, from Jesus. So he has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, to separate you, to pull you out, to cull you, to, uh, to isolate you, is the way I read that. You know, the definition of death is uh, to be separate from. So, maybe he wants to kill him. Um, okay, so Satan is, and we know from Scripture, from this verse and other verses, this chapter and other chapters, he's the accuser, he's the tempter, he's the father of lies, he's the adversary. You get in the picture? He's the sifter. He is not Jesus. Okay, Jesus, in this verse, passage, he says, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail, and you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is the prayer. Jesus is the man of faith. Jesus is the man of prophecy and hope in this message not so sure I want Jesus to pray for me all the time, right? <laughs> right? So Satan's after me. Jesus is praying that ah, you'll be all right. Eventually, yeah. after the attack, you'll be back. It'll be good in the end. I got a throne for you out there. Uh, so it just kind of doesn't, doesn't sound good. I've um, wondered, I've actually read and studied a little bit on the prayers of Jesus and how Jesus prays and, and the sayings of Jesus, you know, some of these are just hard things. Some of these things we don't really understand, but us faith people would say, well, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. The devil's not coming near me, right? I'm walking in faith and victory. Kind of sounds like Peter did just the, right in the next verse. Not me. Um, so, in context, we have to take things in context, but uh, life can be hard and the enemy is real and uh, it's, uh, we have hope, we have a future, and we have faith. I'm missing a page. All right, there it is. Shouldn't be that hard. So, Jesus, other hard sayings, right? Jesus 16.33 
said, uh, these things I've spoken to you so that in me, this was actually in our prayer time earlier, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. He also said in Luke, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Those are hard to take. Need some context, need to study it. And he says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Matthew 10, 34. Okay, but there is, as I said, hope in that prayer. And in general, I would say Jesus' prayers probably tend to get answered. There is hope, right? So Peter's faith will fail, will not fail. And he will return. He will repent. And he has a role in strengthening others as a result. Jesus tries to warn his friend, but as we can see in the uh, latter verses, the next couple of verses, Peter just can't see it, does not want to receive it. Okay, what do we want to get out of this lesson? This is my cue to Jonathan. I've never done this before, to have the accompaniment come up, but he said he wanted, he said he wanted to do it. So here we go. Okay, there's uh, one, two, three, four points here that I would like you to be able to walk away with that can help you with whatever is waiting for you uh, the rest of the day. And it was kind of, Jonathan made very loose mention to it, but uh, found out this morning in our, our prayer time. Two different families this last week, three deaths, heart attack, a murder, and a motorcycle or accident. I, I kind of just wanted to come up here and just, come to my conclusion, <laughs> just to help equip you for whatever's outside. First of all, there are things we don't understand. Don't be afraid. Jesus he is praying for you. Isaiah 55.9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's, he's on a different level. There's things we don't understand. Isaiah 57, 1 and 2, the righteous man perishes and no man takes it to heart and devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from evil. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds, each one 
who walked in his upright way. Next, we do cause a lot of our own pain. We have to take some responsibility here. And remember, right right there, Jesus told them that they should be praying to avoid falling into temptation. We're all going to be tempted. We don't all have to fall into temptation. We have been given some tools to deal with it. We have a free will, and there are consequences to our choices and our actions. Next point. We have an enemy. Satan is obviously active and obviously limited. He had to ask permission. He was thrown out of heaven. He didn't get to vote on that one. So, John 10.10, another one of my cornerstone verses. The thief, which is one of Satan's names, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That was my comment earlier. Jesus is not Satan. There's a lot of bad theology out there that uh, would blame God for what the devil would be given credit for here in John 10. Last point, Jesus is good, and he is for us. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is always praying for us. We might not (laughs) like that prayer, but it's faith, there's hope, and it's good. Last verse, Romans 8, 28. We all know this one, like to quote this one, and it's important and true. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and for those who are called according to his purposes. Okay. I'm done. (laughs) You you want to say anything? Okay. Um, (laughs) Anything you want to correct or verify? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Lord, life is hard, and you've, you've confirmed and you've told us life can be hard, life will be hard, but you are good, you are with us, there is hope, there is a future, there is purpose to each and every one of our lives. I ask that you would speak to all of us to let us hear that. We have value. We have purpose. You are good. We are here to strengthen our brothers and sisters. 
we have purpose and you have a future for us. Lord, bless these people, these families, the trauma and drama that's happening in, in some families that's so intense right now. Pray for your peace. Pray for your presence. Pray for a revelation of your love to all of those involved. That good would come from evil. You can do those things. Bless them, Lord.